Good morning. It is great to be here with you all this morning. I'm very excited to, uh, to get to fellowship um, with you all. I had a lot of fun. I was out at the camp with, with the young folks today, and they might come back a little tired. Not many of them slept last night, but I got a few hours, so that was a blast. We had a, a lot of fun out there, and um, I'm really praying that uh, what God had me share will really speak to them and encourage them to continue pressing on in, in their faith. So, um, yeah, I, uh, uh, I got invited to come out here, um, and I'm super excited. I flew in um, on Thursday, and I've just been, every day has just been flying by. And uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in with, uh, with what I'm here to, to share about, and I pray that, um, yeah, that's a blessing to you all and encourages you to press on in hardship, in trials, in the unknowns, and the different things that we encounter in life. Uh, that each and every single one of us have to make a decision every day. Are we going to serve the Lord or are we going to serve ourselves? So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start out reading a passage. It comes out of 1 Peter. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, it's uh, from 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 12. And uh, this is uh, a passage is just encouraging to press on uh, through hardship, through trials and uh, knowing what it's like to suffer as a Christian. Because as we all know, um, being a Christian isn't, isn't easy, especially in today's world. There's a lot of hardship, there's a lot of trials and different things that, that come into our lives trying to lead us astray, and we have to press on. So uh, this is First uh, Peter chapter 4, starting verse 12. It says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I love that last verse. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It's such an incredible promise that um, God has proven to me time and time again in my short 25 years of life. I'm like, wow, Lord, time and time again, you, you show me you are so faithful. You are a faithful creator. There's, there's different hardship. There's different trial that, that I've gone through and, and all of us have gone through, but God continually says, I'm faithful. Trust in me. Trust in me. And so, um, as I'm here sharing this morning, um, yeah, I, I just pray that you guys are, are blessed. So, uh, I'm going to start in with my, with my PowerPoint here, and hopefully I can, everything goes, goes smoothly. So, I'm here on behalf of Vision Beyond Borders, speaking for them. They're a mission organization uh, based out in Casper, Wyoming. It's the very central part, kind of the middle of nowhere. Um, and it was started in 1994. And Patrick Klein was the director. He was actually, um, he got the calling at, at 19 years old to start a ministry 
um, reaching out to the lost, carrying Bibles uh, to closed countries. He spent a lot of time going to China. And so he was really focused in Asia. And so when he started it, it was called Asian Vision. Um, but then as time went on, the Lord opened up more and more doors. We started working in the Middle East and up into uh, Romania and, and different areas. And so we decided, well, the name should be changed to Vision Beyond Borders. Because when Jesus was on the cross, he had a vision beyond borders to see everyone. Everyone, no matter their language, no matter what country they come from or what, uh, what, what tribe, what group all to come to Jesus. And so, um, yeah, I, I got involved uh, working with them. I was attending a Bible college out in Montana called uh, Montana Wilderness School of the Bible. And we were in the Rocky Mountains for nine months, um, just uh, living there and, and studying God's word and away from everything. You had no cell phone service, nothing. It was amazing. Um, so uh, while I was there, there was a, a, a man named Patrick Klein who came and spoke in the chapel session. And I was, uh, I was like, wow, this is really incredible. He had just, just returned from North Korea, and I had never met anybody who had ever been to North Korea. And he was talking about uh, everything that was going on there. And there was uh, another young man who was with him, and uh, they were sharing in the chapel service. And I remember I was listening, and, and just the stories were really, really touching of, of carrying Bibles into places that seemed completely impossible. Like, how on earth are you going to ever get a Bible into there? Or how would you, why would you even go there? That's so scary. Um, and uh, I remember they got done sharing, and, and the, the group's kind of, um, Patrick was talking to a whole bunch of students, and then this other young man named Jonathan was speaking to some students. And I, I went over, and I was listening to Jonathan, and I was like, wow, this guy's maybe two or three years older than me. He, wow, I could do this, maybe. And I, it had been a prayer in the back of my mind, Lord, someday I want to do this, like maybe 10 years from now or something. That would be so cool just to do a trip like that. And so I went over there, and we were talking, and uh, as Jonathan was speaking, he was, he was talking to the, to the group of, of students, and every time he came to me, his eyes just like set right on my eyes, and he's like looking at me, and I was like, why does that guy keep looking at me? And he keeps talking, he keeps looking right at me, and I was like, what on earth? And uh, he gets done sharing, and I just had this, uh, this sense in my spirit to, to go up and talk to him, and I was like, man, I really, I just need to go talk to him. So as I walked up there, he was in, in a conversation with a friend of mine, and he's in mid-sentence as I walk up, and he just stops, and he turns, and he looks at me. He's like, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I've had a dream about you. And we were in the mountains in the Himalayas carrying the gospel message out in, in Nepal. And I was like, I just stepped back. I said, oh, that is pretty crazy. I said, I'm from Montana, and we don't leave Montana, you know. <laughs> I said, I don't even have a passport. Why would I ever leave Montana? No, 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 no. I said, you're crazy. You, you have to be mistaken. He's like, no, I truly believe God has a calling in your life um, to work in Asia. And so I, I said, wow, I don't know. And so we sat down for two hours and talked and talked and talked. And we got done. And he looked up. Uh, we got done. He, he looked at me. And he went to walk away. And he said, well, you know, with all confidence, he just looked at me. He said, I'll see you in a few months. I know I will. And I said, I just shook my head. And I said, I don't know about that. Well, time went on. I was able to apply for a passport and got one. And um, I, uh, I printed off an application for going on a mission trip with them. And I, I set it on my dorm room desk for three months. It sat there and it would get buried in homework or books or whatever I had on my desk. And every once in a while, I'd, I'd pull it, something off and I'd see that, that, that paper. And I was like, oh, I don't know. That just seems so far, Lord. That seems so impossible, so impossible. And so um, time came along and I, I went home for my spring break and I was just about to run out of my dorm room, and I saw that application, 
application sitting on my, on my desk, and I, I reached over and grabbed it. I was like, oh, okay, fine, I'll fill it out. I still don't think I'm going to go overseas, though. So I, I fill it out, and as I began um, writing down different things on the application, the Lord started working in my heart. And I said, wow, Lord, forgive me. I, I'm doubting you. I'm doubting you. you. You are faithful. If you call me to do this, then who am I to, to say no? And so I fill it out. I send it in. And uh, it, gets, it gets there like on the day it was due. And uh, they call me back the very next day. They said, hi, Bridger. Um, we just want to let you know we've already been praying for you. And you're accepted. You're going on a trip to Asia. <laughs> I was like, what on earth? No way. I can't believe this. And so... Um, we started, I, I started out, I, I went to Nepal, and I was in the Himalayas. We were hiking along, and uh, we were in there for about two weeks, trekking through the, some of the mountains, the mountain villages, and who do you know was on my trip with me? It was Jonathan, and he, uh, I remember we split up into different groups, and I mean, he could have been on any of one of those groups, but he was in my group specifically, and we started hiking, and I remember we're hiking there like the first hour and just huffing and puffing because it's just it's the Himalayas. I mean, it's steep, you know, lots of hiking. And I stopped for this breather. I'm just looking over across this valley. And I remember there was smoke rising up out of all these little grass-covered huts. And I just turned and looked at him. I said, wow, what you said was true. Like, that's amazing. I can't believe that was real, you know. And he looked at me with all seriousness. He said, I know it was true. Because when God calls you to do something, he's faithful to complete it. And I say amen to that, right? When, God's, when God calls us to do something, he is faithful to give us the abilities, to give us the calling, to give us what we need to accomplish what God has called us to do. So um, I, as, I've, as I've been in, in Asia, I've traveled to some of these places, to some of these countries, and Autumn can testify we've had some great times in Hong Kong and, and China, um, Laos especially. We've had some, some great times in Laos. <laughs> And so uh, I'm just going to walk through a little bit. There's a map kind of of, of the area of the world where this is in, cent- in Southeast Asia and some parts in Central Asia and stuff. Uh, but um, I was really just going to kind of quickly walk you through what it's like to live in Hong Kong, um, to be a Bible smuggler. And then I want to share just a, a story, a testimony of 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 time there, of, of what God was teaching me. So these are just some photos of what it's like in Hong Kong. It's very different than Michigan or Montana or <laughs> anywhere really in, in the U.S. It's very crowded there. Um, but the thing I found um, incredible is uh, from the city streets like, like this, which is in China, to villages way out in Laos or Vietnam where the roads are like that. You know, there's one thing in common between those places, and that is a need for God's word, a need for the truth. Um, whether you're in a city uh, busy working, doing business or something, um, or way out in a, in a village keeping sheep or goats or, or pigs or whatever, um, there's a need in all of our hearts for Jesus. There's a need, an absolute need. And so um, yeah, that's, that's been my calling, as we call it smuggling Bibles or being a Bible smuggler or, or taking these into these closed places. A lot of times it's scary. Sometimes it's unknown, and you're like, Lord, I don't know. Am I going to get through this border crossing safely? Uh, am I going to continue on? Like, what, what's going to happen? And so there's a lot of unknowns, but a lot of opportunity to trust in the faithfulness of the Lord. And so um, really what it looks like, uh, how, it, how it worked a lot of times while I was over there in Asia. We had a, a, a warehouse there in Hong Kong with a whole bunch of Bibles. We would stockpile them. 
And uh, you can see tons and tons of them, thousands of them. And from there, we would uh, unload them. I remember we'd haul them back to our, our apartment. And uh, from there, we'd, we'd, we'd pack them up into suitcases and backpacks. Um, we'd fill them up. Sometimes we'd try to hide them. Sometimes we'd put them in our clothing. Sometimes we would just, just set them right in the backpack or the suitcase and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you to go through. And, uh, and uh, then after that, we would... Um, We'd head out. This was back in the day when we could haul a whole bunch of Bibles to China. I remember uh, when I was hauling that load, I was close to 100 Bibles just right there. And I didn't hide them or anything. I just packed them right into the backpack. And uh, we'd head down to the train station. And I'm sure, Autumn, this is like, it's just in your brain. You, you know it because you, you do it so many times every day, all the time crossing the borders. You go down to the train station and uh, you get on there. This picture zooms in a little bit. You can see... Um, it's just, it's really packed and tight on there. And I always would tease my American friends when they'd come over. They'd get there and they're like, everything in Asia is small. It's tiny. The apartments are tiny. The sink is tiny. The beds are too short. And it's just so crowded. And I said, all right, when you come from America, you know, we have this really nice, great, big, like, like bubble of personal space right here, okay? I said, when you get to Asia, you got to take a pin and you got to pop that bubble because there's going to be people right here, you know, on this train, people you don't even know, and you'll just be crammed onto the train next to all these other people heading to China or, or traveling around in Hong Kong. So for some people, it's, it's an eye-opener. They're like, wow, this is incredible. There are so many people just compacted in this space. And I remember, you know, in Scripture when, when the Lord is talking to Abraham, and he says, your descendants shall be as the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky. I could never really picture that until I went to Asia. And I saw all that. I was like, wow, that is, that is a lot of people. That's incredible. And so uh, the thing I remember one time, I was standing in this great big crowd. It was near Chinese New Year, and the borders were really packed. And uh, I was standing there looking at the back of this crowd. We're waiting. We had, it took six hours just to walk through this line that was, I don't know, I mean, it was maybe 20 or 30 feet, but it took six hours because there were so many people to get through the line. And uh, I just looked across this great big crowd, and all I could see was all these, just the backs of everyone's heads. Thousands and thousands of them. I couldn't count them all. And I was just, I was almost brought to tears because I said, God knows how many hairs are on each and every single one of those heads. He knows the hurts that are in their hearts. And he's, he's given them the truth. He's, he's offering truth to them. And so, I mean, when you're there, sometimes it can be annoying with crowds, but other times you say, wow, Lord, you love all of these people. You've created all of these people, and you have a plan for their lives. So, um, continuing on kind of with what it's like to haul the Bibles across the border, uh, we'll get up to the customs and the immigration area there. You can see um, the people will file in from this side, and they'll kind of go through those lines, and that's what I was talking about, a, a line like that. Sometimes it's just compact, com- completely packed full and uh, it can take six hours to go through one of those places. And so you get through, and then you go through the, the customs and the immigration area, and that's where a lot of prayer happens. You're going by the extra machines, and you're saying, Lord, guide me through. Open the door, God. Blind their eyes. Um, help me to get past. And so many times, uh, I could be here all day telling you testimonies of getting Bibles through. So once we get to, them t- uh, to the other side, we uh, would have a storage unit or a locker or another Uh, apartment or or area where we'd store all the Bibles, and then we would uh, call our contacts once those areas got filled up. They'd show up in a van, and uh, and then from there, they would take them out and distribute them all across China. 
there was a, I had an opportunity uh, about two years ago. I flew uh, deep inside of China. It was near the southern border. Um, it was about 1,000 miles from Hong Kong. And I had an opportunity to go meet some of the people, some of the churches where we had delivered Bibles to. And I remember I was walking into uh, one of the church buildings where these Bibles had gotten delivered. And it, w- it was exciting. It was so cool to meet the next link in the chain. You know, we got it across the border. We gave it to another guy and he hauled it through and gave it to another guy. And then it, then it gets distributed out to the churches. And so I walk in and immediately as I walk into the back, I see over on this, this pew, on this, this little church um, bench in the back, I notice one of those boxes. I recognized it immediately. I was like, I know that box. I've carried many Bibles and put them in those boxes before. Well, I walk over and the box is completely empty. But not only that, I turned the box on its side and my handwriting was on the side of the box. I was like, oh my goodness, wow, I put Bibles in that box. And here I am over a thousand miles away, way way out in this village in China, and it's completely empty and all the Bibles are gone. I was like, praise God, you know, because so many times when you carry, you'd carry Bibles, you'd carry scriptures in, and you'd have to fight spiritual warfare every day. Like there was ideas, thoughts would start racing in your mind, and you say, oh, I don't know if this is going anywhere. Maybe it's just getting thrown away, or maybe nobody's reading it. And so you have all these doubts come to your mind, and uh, you'd have to say, God, no, I know, God, that you are faithful to your word. You accomplish what you send your word out to do. And so... Um, you had to constantly battle those thoughts. Even in Bible smuggling, you think, man, you're so, you're, you're, you have a lot of faith. You have a lot of faith and trust in the Lord. But we're humans too. We constantly have to battle those, those thoughts, the, the fear of going across. Um, so uh, that, that's roughly kind of what it's like to smuggle Bibles, to take them in. And there's different maneuvers and, and different ways you can get them in. Um, but I really would like to, to touch on the country of Laos because I know a lot of you all have um, felt that um, personally here, I'm praying for Autumn, praying for the others that were detained just a few months ago. Um, and uh, so I wanted to share a little bit about uh, my story as well uh, from Laos and just kind of tie that in with how God is, has continually used that um, to, to draw me back to a place that maybe um, is not the, the most easy place to go to. Sometimes it's a little frightening. But yet God calls me, keeps calling me to go back there. He keeps calling me to go back. I'm like, Lord, I'm scared. I don't want to go again, you know. But God says, but I love these people. I love these people. Are you going to carry the word? Are you going to be faithful to what I've called you to do? So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to talk about a Laos imprisonment uh, that took place in 2016. It was the first time I had a, um, a, a pretty scary encounter uh, with, with the authorities. I, I had other run-ins where I'd been stopped or detained for an hour or two or something. Uh, then they let me go. Um, but this was, this was one that really hit home. Uh, this was the crew that I was with. Um, we were uh, going into, uh, into the country of Laos. We flew there. Um, we split up into uh, three groups, and we spread out across the country. And uh, as, we, as we went out to the villages, we began handing out the materials. And um, I remember on, the, on our way there, I was traveling um, in a speedboat up, up the Mekong River. And it was a really, um, really bumpy ride, really, really fast boat. And I remember as, as we stopped, about a half an hour uh, from our final destination, we got out to have a, a restroom break. And I remember I got out as I stood up out of the boat, my, my cell phone was in my pocket and it fell out of my pocket and fell right into the river and sunk to the bottom. And I was like, oh no, oh no, oh no. I just lost my phone and it had all of my instructions that had everything on it, everything where I had to go, all the, all the stuff. And, and it was, I was the only one with a phone in the country that worked. So I'm like, there's our, our, our only 
mode of, of communication. You know, that, that's our only way we can talk to people. And I was like, oh, no. So I remember I got back in the boat. I was really sad. And, and we were driving along. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do now. And thankfully, a buddy of mine had um, a few photos on his camera of, of uh, the places where we needed to go. And so when we split up in the morning, um, there was five of us that went out to this area, and we split down for that day, a, a team of three and a team of two. And I was on the three-man team. We got in these little tuk-tuk uh, drivers. Uh, they call them the tuk-tuk. It's a little, like, three-wheeled cart motorcycle. And we drove out, and we hired the guy. He could speak English. And we hired him for the day to drive us around to, to village to village. And uh, we get to the very first village. We hop out, and I had this, this um, wrapped-up package of... Um, the New Testaments and some gospel tracts and things. And uh, so I, I got there and I, I immediately, there, there was a man that came out of his hut and he was really excited. He could surprisingly speak English way out here in this, in this jungle village. And he said, oh, do you have gifts for me? Are these books? I said, yes, yes, yes. And he, he quickly took them and, and walked, walked inside and put them in his house and came back out and I sat down. And so I started talking with him. Well, in the meantime, my two friends walked up in the village a little bit farther and they started handing out those packages. Well, there was a group of, of young children that got one. They were so excited. They tore open the package. And they're like, whoa, wow, this is exciting. What is this? And they didn't know. Many of them have never even heard the name of Jesus out in these villages, which is, that's, that's mind-blowing to us. You think about, wow, here we are in America. I've, I've heard about Jesus ever since I was a kid. And here you are out in, out in places they've never, I don't know, who, who is Jesus? I don't know who this is. And... Uh, and so these children, excitingly and innocently, uh, walked up to a police officer with one of the books. And they said, oh, what is this? And the officer snatched it from the child. And uh, he jumped on his motorcycle. And he, he roared down to the other end of the village where I was. And I'm just uh, sitting there talking with this new, new-made friend. And um, all of a sudden, I hear a motorcycle just roar up. And this officer steps off. And he's got the book in his hand. And he, like, marches over toward me with this very angry look on his face. And I was like oh, it's time to go, guys. <laughs> I think we've overstayed our welcome. And so I, I, I remember I stood up and I was like, guys, it's gotta, we, we've got to go right now. We, we have stayed too long. And I remember when we go out to these places, we usually don't stay much longer than 20 or 30 minutes because within that time, the authorities are alerted and, uh, you know, you're like, we got to go. We got to get out of here. And, and it's amazing because the people will take the stuff and they'll quickly hide it. I remember I, I saw some children um, one time when I was in one of these places um, when they, when they were getting, when we, we got stopped once, and I remember the children quickly took um, one of the, the gospel tracts we'd given to them, and Autumn actually was there with me, and uh, she, uh, the, the young boy hid it behind his back, and the officer was trying to take it from him. So the people are really curious. They want to know the truth, but the, their governments are, are so strict many times in many of these places that they're constantly, um, constantly monitoring their people. And so um, as I stood up to leave, I went, walked over to the tuk-tuk to get in. And uh, the officer said, no, no, you stop. I talked to you about this book. You cannot have this book. Cannot, cannot bring here. And uh, I said, I'm sorry, sir. I, I've got to go. I'm kind of on a tight time schedule. Um, good to meet you. <laughs> I tried to walk out. And I didn't work. I really didn't work. And uh, my, my other friend uh, came back from the other end of the village. And he had no idea what was going on. I was like, get in the taxi, get in the tuk-tuk. And he's like, what? What's going on? I said, oh, no, we're not going to get out of this one. And so um, we uh, finally, he got the hint. We started to walk towards the, tech, for, towards the tuk-tuk. And uh, the officer, uh, like, I, I still don't really know to this day what he did, but he made some signal or something. And uh, within, like, maybe 10 seconds, 
like all these people like came up out of the from behind houses and, and bushes and they're packing AK 47s and pistols and rifles and I remember I saw one of them look like a 13 or 14 year old boy was just standing there with a rifle and I was like whoa and they, they just kind of circled around of us around us there's 18 of them and I just kind of stepped back I was like okay guys all right um, I'm not gonna go anywhere <laughs> you have me here you know and so um, I was like all right I guess you can talk to us I'm not gonna not gonna try to run so they took us back over to the table and they sat us down and they started going through our bags and they wanted our, de- our identifications. Well, I had hidden mine in the very bottom of my backpack so they couldn't find it. And I was like, all right, hopefully they, they won't find this thing. And they start to dig through my backpack and they, they grab more and more of these books and these gospel tracts. And some of these tracts were actually from World Missionary Press. Um, we've passed out thousands of their stuff all around the world. And so, you know, as they pull out more and more of the stuff, I'm just like, oh, no, I'm getting in more and more and more trouble the more of, of this, these materials they get. And uh, so um, I, as I'm sitting there just praying, Lord, give me words, give me wisdom. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, they reach down and they pull out my passport. They find it. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And they got my passport right off the bat. So I said, oh, no, guys, I don't know what, what to expect now. And so... Um, as uh, they questioned us a bit more, they said, okay, we need to take you to our police station. So we got in our truck, and, and they drove us down to their police station. And we sat in there for about four hours, and they questioned each of us individually. And, uh, you know, when they, when they sent us back out, I was able to um, take my friend's passport um, and hide it on my person. I had a money belt right on the front of me, and uh, I, I hid it inside there. And I remember um, just praying, Lord, help us to... Um, to know what to do, help, help me to know how to answer. I don't want to lie, Lord, but at the same time, I don't want to give away the truth about my friends uh, to, to endanger them. So they're asking me questions like, who are you giving these to? And where did you get them? And why are you here? Where have you traveled? What purpose have you come to our country? And uh, they would ask me a question like, yeah, who are you giving these to? And I would say, well, I'm giving them to anyone who wants one. Would you like one? And I said, no, I do not want one. <laughs> I said, okay. And uh, he said, where did you get these? I said, well, I, I came from the U.S. I brought them with me. And uh, where have you traveled? Well, I've traveled many places across Laos. Why have you come to Laos? Well, I love Laos. I love the people of Laos. So trying to keep your answers very general, but at the same time, you're saying, Lord, work in their hearts. Soften their hearts, Lord. Help them to know the truth that we came here not to, to, be, to, me, to be mean or or to try to force them into anything, but we came here on behalf of Jesus, for the sake of Jesus. And so um, they questioned us, and uh, after a little while, they said, okay, we need to take you to our, our province police station. And so I'm like, oh, no, this is getting worse. So it compounds and builds and builds, and I remember a lot of times this, uh, as, this as Autumn and the, the other two that were with her, as this was happening just a few months ago, I, I just kept praying, Lord, please give them favor, God. Um, please work in the hearts of the officials who are the officials over the other officials. Because many of them say, I need to talk to the, my boss. And then you, that guy comes in and says, I need to talk to my boss. And uh, it just kind of goes all the way up the line. And you're just like, Lord, whoever the big, big boss is, please give us favor in his eyes, Lord. And so um, I remember as, uh, as they drove us along about an hour drive all the way to their police station, um, we got there and it was just this great big government building. And I knew at this point it was not going to be an easy, oh, just, you know, wave goodbye and, and we're off. I said, we're kind of in this one. This is a big one. And so um, 
I, I was standing there, we, we go in there, and they took me into a room first, and they really were questioning me, because I had been there a couple times. And uh, finally, at this point, here it's been almost uh, seven hours since they detained us, they hadn't patted me down whatsoever. And uh, so I'm, I'm sitting there in the chair, and the officer says, stand up, I need to pat you down. So I, I stand up, I hold out my arms like this, and uh, here I have a, a money belt right in the very front here, hiding the passport. And the officer pats me down. He starts to go down my leg. He comes back up and goes down the other leg. Comes up, goes under my arms, and he starts to feel me right around the waist. And I just start praying under my breath, Lord, please stop his hands. Lord, stop his hands. And he gets all the way around right to the very edge of my money belt. And his hands stop. And he says, okay, you can sit back down. And I sit down, and I was like, they don't see my heart beating, do they? <laughs> I was like, you know? And so I, I, I sit there, and I was like, oh, Lord, thank you, thank you. Apparently, you don't want me to give up this, this last passport yet. Um, so I, I sat there, and I was like, okay, God. And they, they kept questioning us. In the meantime, my two friends were out in the hallway, and the police had taken their phones, but they actually talked one of the officers into letting them borrow their phone again. They said, can I have my phone for just a second? And the officer said, well, sure. So he handed it back to them, and uh, they quickly took their phone, and they dialed the U.S. Embassy. And so they called the embassy, and... They're saying, hey, there's three of us. This is where we are, and we're being taken. And then the officer said, you can't do that. And he takes the phone from them. So they got just a few words out to the embassy. And I had no idea this was going on. I'm sitting in there, and the officer is sitting by his desk, and he looks across at me, and he says, uh, do you have a phone? I need to have your phone. And I look down, and I say, no, I don't have a phone. And here I am thinking in my mind, man, I lose my phone. I'm detained by the police. This is not a good trip so far. And then I was like, no, I don't have my phone. Oh, oh, Lord, I see what you're doing. You had me lose my phone a few days earlier because you knew this was going to happen. And if they would have gotten my phone, they would have gotten a lot more information. And I just had this, this uh, little just glimpse of hope. Like, God, you know what you're doing. You're on the throne. There's nothing here that surprises you. Wow. And so I, with a smile on my face, I once again say, no, I did not have a phone. <laughs> and um, the officer said, okay, okay, okay. So they question us and question us, and finally they take us out into the hallway, and they're like, okay, uh, we need to hold you for the night, um, because we cannot, uh, we cannot get all your information. We need to hold on to you for a little while. I said, okay, all right. And uh, so I start, uh, they, they walk us out to their vehicle, and they said, you can get in. We'll take you to a hotel. There's a place to stay. And I said, well, we have our own. Can we just stay in our own? We have one right here in town. He said, no, 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 you, you must go to our hotel. I said, okay, you're going to take us to a hotel? And then they got really quiet, and they wouldn't say anything. And I said, are you taking us to a hotel? They said, it's okay, it has a bed and a food, and you, it's a place to, to stay for the night. You'll be okay, only one night. I said, are you taking us to a hotel? And they wouldn't say anything. And so I was like, oh, no, guys, this is getting worse. And they said, okay, get in the back of the pickup. And... Uh, and I remember earlier on, they said, you know, we have guns, but we won't use them if you behave yourself. I said, you have my word. Uh, we won't try to run from you. We won't try to fight back with you. Um, we'll, we'll submit to you. So they said, okay, okay. And so I got in the pickup, and my other buddy got in the pickup, and my third friend, he said, I am not getting in that pickup. I know where that pickup's going, and I'm not getting in there. I said, it's all right, man. It's okay. Just get in. It's all right. He's like, no, I won't get in there. You can't make me. And I said, it's all right, just, just get in. I have peace about it. I think everything's going to be okay. And he's like, you have peace about this? And I was like, yeah, it's all right, just get in. We'll be fine. 
he gets in, and I was like, I did not face about that. I was terrified. <laughs> but I didn't want to split up the team. So he get in, and they close the tailgate of the, of the truck, and he's leaning on the tailgate, and I'm, I'm leaning against the back of the pickup. So he sees everywhere we're driving. Well, we, we take off. We drive down the road, and instead of turning to go towards the town where all the hotels were, we turn off on this dirt road and this gravel. And I'm like, oh, no, this is not good, guys. They're taking us away from people. This is not good. And as they go down the road and down a few windy curves and up some hills and stuff, it was maybe only 10 or 15 minutes, but it felt like an hour. And we're like, where are they taking us? Where are they taking us? And I remember thoughts just automatically started running through my head. I was like, is this the day I die, Lord? Are they going to go shoot me right now? Are they taking us out somewhere and and they're going to shoot us? And I was just like, Lord, have I done everything? Have I done everything you've asked of me? God, is this the last day I die or last day I'm alive? God, please, Lord, please have mercy, have mercy. And, uh, and so we pull around this corner. I see like all this, this stacked up wood pile. And uh, my friend, because he could see everywhere we're going, I see his face. And as we turn around, he's leaning on the tailgate and he's like, I knew I should not have gotten in this pickup. <laughs> and I said, what, what? And I turned around and there I saw the front gates of a prison compound, um, 15 feet high, razor wire across the top and two guard towers. And I was like, oh, my heart just sunk. I said, Lord, no, 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 no. There's no way this is happening right now. And I, I remember I, think, I was thinking, you know, I signed a waiver release saying, you know, I understand the risk I'm taking. But now that the risk is set before me, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where reality is real. Like, like I'm getting put in prison for sharing the gospel with people. No, 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 Lord, no, no. And I remember at that moment, just in that split second, everything, just my family, my friends, um, you know, my connections, my job, everything back home, all of it just passed away in the back in, in, in my mind, and none of it mattered. The only thing that mattered, it was like I was standing there on the edge of eternity, and I'm standing before God, and I, I was just like, have I, have I been faithful to the Lord? Have I, have I asked, have I done everything God's asked of me? Am I ready for this? Am I ready for what lies ahead? It's unknown, but Lord, am I ready for this? And I know that seems like a lot, but it was, it was a split second. All that ran through my mind. And I remember we get out of the truck and we're just arguing with the guards. No, 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 take us to our hotel right now. Take us. And we argue with them for maybe 30 minutes before the officer said, no, no, you stay here. I was like, all right, guys, we don't have a choice. We stepped into this one and we have to keep going. It's like, all right, so we'll, we'll go in. We, only one night, right? Yeah, yeah, only one night, only one night. Okay, so they open up the door, and I remember um, as I stepped through, there was an officer in front of me, and then I was the first one to step in. The door opened like this, and so everything I see is, is to my left-hand side. And I step in, and all I see is like these, these jail cells with these arms sticking out of the cells, and they're all waving and just yelling and screaming. And they're all like yelling at us and saying, foreigner, foreigner, foreigner. (laughs) I just walk in. I'm like, oh, oh, wow, I'm scared right now. You know, and I I do a quick scan across the whole prison. And they said, wow, white foreigner. We've never seen white foreigner in our prison before. And I'm like, that's not a good sign. That's really not good. And I remember as I did a quick scan, I saw there was a a building here, another another hut, a long hut in the back. And then there was a a fence with uh, sharpened bamboo spikes around it. And like through the, through the bamboo, I could see there were some women in there. I was like, wow, so it's a co-ed prison. There's, wow, this is interesting. And so um, they, uh, they immediately stopped us. They said, okay, we're taking your backpacks from you. And uh, what you want in the prison, put in this little plastic bag. 
and you can take it, but you cannot take your backpack. And so I sit down at this, at this table and uh, everything I pull out of my backpack, the, the officers first look through. And so I pulled out some food and, and a handkerchief that said Montana on the side of it. I was like, well, maybe I can wrap up my leg or something. And I looked at, I remember briefly looking at the Montana thing and be like, oh, I sure miss you right now. <laughs> Wish I was there. And uh, I put it in my bag and uh, I grabbed my harmonica out of there and threw it in there and... Um, you know, I was, I was kind of joking to myself, well, I can really play the blues now, you know, <laughs> but I, I never did play in there. I, I honestly, I was, uh, I really, really, um, really distraught. It was, it was very hard, um, being in a situation where you don't know the outcome, you don't know what lies ahead. And so, um, as they, as I'm sitting there, I was like, I really want to get my Bible in the prison. I really want to get it, but I know they're probably not going to let me take this. And so I had actually, uh, I had this little Bible right here um, in my backpack. It's a little New Testament with Psalms and Proverbs. And it was sitting just inside the front cover of my backpack. And I said, well, I have an idea. So I reach in and I grab my first aid kit and I pull it out. And immediately the officer takes it from me. And he says, uh, what is this? And he starts to look through the bandages and everything. And I said, well, I have a cut on my leg. And he looked down and he saw I had a cut on my leg. He said, okay, okay, you can take it. And so as he slides it across the table, um, I reach across with this hand, and then with this hand, I reached into my backpack, and I grabbed this little New Testament and slid it underneath the first aid kit and set it down in my bag. And I was like, all right, I have everything I need. You can take my backpack. And I was like, yes, I just got my Bible into the prison. And I tell you the truth, you all, God's word has never tasted sweeter than when it's all I had. Just getting to taste a little glimpse of what our brothers and sisters go through around the world every day. This is their life for many of them. Um, you, really, you really understand the sweetness of God's word. It is a precious, precious gift. And so I remember as I was sitting there, I was reading um, through my Bible. And I, I remember I was really afraid. Um, and so I wanted to sit on my bunk a lot of the time and just read my Bible and pray. And this other guy who's really outgoing he wanted to go around and talk to all the prisoners. So he's going around talking to, to the prisoners, doing backflips because he was an acrobat. And he was just, all the prisoners loved him. They're like, wow, this guy's so funny. And I'm like, I want to get out of here, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so my other friend who was with me, he sat on his bunk and he journaled. Uh, he got some paper and a pencil from another prisoner and he wrote down um, different experiences. So, you know, inside the prison, even inside the prison, each of us had a, a specific role that God called each and every single one of us to do. And so I remember I was reading in Colossians chapter one, and then uh, like the very last part of that chapter, um, you know, I, I remember verse 29 of, of, of chapter one says, uh, whereunto I also labor striving accordingly uh, to his working, which worketh in me mightily. And uh, this, this is a letter um, from Paul encouraging the Colossian church to press on, to stand fast. And uh, I remember as I, as I started into the next chapter in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, I was sitting on my bunk and I was reading this Bible right here. I said, for I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. And I just, just froze. I was like, Laodicea, you know modern day Turkey. But the first three letters of Laodicea are L-A-O. Lao. Lao. And I was like, I looked at it, I was like, L-A-O. Lao. Lao. Whoa. And I just sat there and it was like, God hit me right there. And I, I knew, wow, God, you love the people of Laos. 
You love these people. And this was not a mistake that we were caught here. This is not a mistake that I'm sitting in this jail. You knew this before time began. And so um, I was so encouraged. I remember um, we would gather and we'd pray together. And there was even a guitar in the prison. And we sang Amazing Grace together, the three of us. And, man, fellowship is so, so important. Because there was times when we would be, you know, just in our own thoughts and consumed. And we were just afraid. And I know Autumn can testify to this, you know, when, when, when she was with the other two as well. And uh, they, were, they were able to meet and pray together and talk and just fellowship. That is so important. I mean, that's why it's encouraged in Scripture to, to continue fellowshipping together. And uh, you would see our countenance just, I mean, it was, it was down. It, it would drop. We were afraid. And <laughs> I would take my Bible and say, hey, go read my Bible. Go read my Bible and come back. Like 10 or 15 minutes later, they come back and they're just like, I'm so much better right now. <laughs> like, oh, I can do this. I can do this. That is the living word of God speaking life into our, into our lost and dying hearts, but saved by Jesus. Amen. And so um, as, I, as I was in there, um, I remember meeting different prisoners and talking to them. And um, there was some that were sentenced two years and some that were sentenced 10 years. But the shortest sentence we'd ever heard was, was two years. And I'm like, two years, Lord. Two years is the shortest sentence in this prison? No way. No way, Lord. And so as we're talking to different um, people, my, my friend walked over to the corner where the women were. And he, he started talking to them. And uh, we found out that there was three women in there that were Chinese. So we started speaking in Chinese to them. And uh, they asked, you know, why, why did you come to prison? Did you kill someone? Because everybody thought that we killed somebody. We said, no, 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 we didn't kill anybody. We came here, we brought Bibles to the, gov- the country, and the government no like that, so they throw us in prison. And they say, whoa, Bible, you have Bible? And I remember I was standing there with my friend, and I wanted to start crying because um, just like I have some Chinese Bibles out in the foyer there you can look at, um, I had held thousands and thousands of these Bibles in my hands, these Chinese Bibles, and yet I did not have one single Chinese Bible with me. They couldn't read English, so I couldn't give my Bible but I was like, oh, man, I wish we could, I wish I had a Bible with me. And my friend turned and looked at me. He said, when we get out of here, I'm going to give them a Bible. I'm going to get them a Bible. I said, you are crazy. I don't know how you're going to do it, but you're crazy. And uh, we walked back to our hut. And uh, the, the third morning came, and uh, I remember um, this, this one uh, prisoner who's from Thailand. He came over, and he, he motioned with his hand. He said, follow me. And so I, I reluctantly followed him back to the back where the prison was. And uh, he yelled up in this, this window, and this out popped his face, this guy. And he, I recognized him from the day earlier. He was, uh, he was a prisoner in those cells. They kept about 20 prisoners in each cell. And there was like 250 prisoners in this, in this building. They were just crammed in their cells. And uh, I remember as he's looking out the window, he says, Oh, hello, my English-speaking friend. I said, Hello. And I said, What does this guy want from me? And... Uh, <laughs> The, the, the prisoner laughed. He said, oh, this guy, he's prison barber. He wants to give you a haircut. I said, okay. He's like, he wants to know what style haircut you want. And I hear I'm standing in this prison in Laos like, I don't care what style of haircut I want. I want to get out of here, you know. <laughs> I said, I don't know, maybe cut it short on the sides and long on the top. He says, okay, okay, okay. And he yells it back to the guy in Thai. And uh, they say, oh, okay, follow me, follow me. And I go over there. and I remember I sat down and... Um, I, uh, I sat there and they took out these scissors and they just immediately started cutting my hair and they cut the first piece off and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
And the prisoners like took all of these pieces of hair. He's like, I've never seen foreigner hair before. <laughs> I just started laughing and I, I sat there and all of a sudden my thoughts just really focused in and I was there was there was times in the in this whole or, ordeal, this whole situation where we were very, very close to crying, but we, we kind of brought it back in and said, Don't cry, don't cry yet. We can't cry. And uh, this was one of those times where I was this close to crying, just it was so close. I was sitting there and they're cutting my hair and all of a sudden Isaiah chapter 53 starts running through my mind. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, like a sheep before his shearers, yet he opened not his mouth. You know, and, and uh, I, I still get some emo- emotional about this because I, I remember um, sitting there thinking, man, there's nothing I will ever experience in this life that will ever outdo what Jesus did for me. So even if they take me out back and shoot me right now, that's nothing compared to what Jesus gave for me. And uh, I was sitting there and I was like, oh, I can't cry, I can't cry. And just this overwhelming presence that Jesus was there with me, right there. I was not alone. We were not alone. We were not forgotten. I remember we had prayed and we prayed it every day. There was three prayers that I prayed. The first one was, God, raise up hundreds of people. No, God, raise thousands to be praying, Lord. Raise thousands. The second prayer was, God, when I get out of here, help this never, ever be old news to me. Help this never be something that I just say, oh, yeah, that was a time in my past. Or, oh, that was a, a crazy experience. You want to hear a good story? Help this to be fresh in my mind. And just like right now, that is an answer to prayer. Every time I share this, it, I hope it encourages you all. But not only, I mean, I've shared this story hundreds of times, but it never gets old. Every time I tell it, God once again answers that prayer. And he keeps it alive and fresh in my mind. It says, look, look at the miracle I worked for you. Look at my faithfulness. Remember what I've done for you. Do not forget my faithfulness. And so um, my third prayer was pretty selfish. <laughs> I said, Lord, I will do anything. Just get me out of this prison. <laughs> and I prayed that for the first two nights there. And finally on the third day, I woke up. And it was interesting because all three of us, uh, when we met together that morning to pray together, uh, we said, well, it looks like we're going to be here for a while. I guess, uh, I guess, what, what, what does God have us here for? And I did not pray that prayer anymore that morning. I didn't pray, God, get me out of here. I just said, okay, Lord, your will be done. And uh, it kind of reminded me of Jonah. You know, it took some time in the belly of the whale for or the belly of the big fish for him to really come to his senses. And I was like, wow, Lord okay, I'm here. I've been here for a few days already. What do you want me to do? And, uh, and so um, I remember after I'd gotten my hair cut that morning, I was sitting back on my bunk just reading my Bible again. And, uh, you know, we didn't know if anybody knew about us. And what we didn't realize was half of our team had gotten detained all the way on the other side of the country. And we had gotten detained. And so the only two people that were not detained were, were a couple of the guys that were with us that morning. And uh, they, they left. They were helping with the embassy, get it, helping to get us out. And I remember uh, I was just like, wow, Lord, God, your will be done. And as I'm sitting there on my, on my, on my bunk, they, they rush into the prison and they say, okay, it's free. You, you go, 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 time to go. So we, we go out uh, to the outside of the prison. And I remember as, as I stepped out, I saw my, one of my friends who was on the team with me He's standing on the outside, and he said, I've been working with the embassy, and, and I've been able to get you guys out. And so we stepped out, 
And I remember I still had my passport, that passport hidden on me. They never found it. And so I step out, my other friend steps out, and the third friend whose passport I had hidden, he goes to step out. They said, no, no, you cannot go. You do not have passport. And he's 18 years old, first time out of the country. He's like, I said, trust me. Hold on for just a second. I got to talk to the officer. You trust me? He said, absolutely, I trust you. Okay. So they shut the door. I walk over to the chief of police. I said, are you really going to let us go? Because uh, I did not want to give this up. They didn't know I had the passport. And I said, you promise you let us go? He said, uh, yeah, yeah. And so my friend, he pulls out his phone. And he said, I will dial the U.S. Embassy if you do not call, if you do not let my friends go. The officer said, no, no, I let them go. We, we send them to Thailand today. Do not, do not, please don't call. And so my friend looked at me. He said, okay, there's your answer. Um, let, let him go. And so I, I walked back to the prison and, uh, or right back to the door. And I said, okay, I'm going to give it up now. He said, all right, it's good. It's, it's fine with me. So I quickly pull out the passport and the whole, chi- uh, the whole police force is all standing there. And they say, oh, the passport. <laughs> and the officer walks up to me. He said, why did you not give this to me earlier? And I said, well, the reason I didn't give it to you was because you guys were lying to me. I did not trust giving you all of our identifications. You said you'd hold us for 45 minutes to question us. And now you've had us for three days. And I'm holding the passport in my hand. And I said, now, do you promise you will let us go if I give you this passport? The officer said, yes. So I handed it to him. And he snapped his fingers. They walked over and opened the door and let my friend out. I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. So we got in the truck. We drove back to the police station. And we signed some papers saying that we acknowledged we will get our backpacks, but not our Bibles and stuff back. And uh, they slid it across the table. They said, thank you for being here. We hope to see you again. <laughs> I just kind of sat there. I said, uh, I hope not. <laughs> then the officer said, no, 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 no. Sorry, my bad English. He said, uh, we hope maybe to see you again. Come to our country again. But maybe you come again. We have coffee or we, we have tea together. Just don't bring Bible." I said, okay, maybe, okay. We go now? <laughs> so, okay, okay, we go, we go. So they took us and sent us, sent us away to Thailand. And I uh, actually have some photos kind of where it is um, there in, in Laos. I'll zoom in a little bit. There's the river. And uh, I don't know if you can see the little gray dot up on the right-hand side. That's actually where the compound was. Um, if you zoom in a little bit closer, you can see the, the clearing there. That's the, uh, that's the outer compound complex. And then you zoom in just a little bit closer, and that's actually the prison compound right where I was held. Um, in the white, the white building right there, the white roof, that's where I slept. And then the longer one in the top, uh, the top of that, that triangle or, or uh, that square there, in the very top of the diamond there, um, that was where the prison cells were, the other prisoners were. And so, I mean, this was a real place that exists. I found that on Google. And, uh, you know, this, was, is, this took me a while to find it. And I remember I got back to Hong Kong. My friend messaged me, and he said, are you going to send me those Chinese Bibles? And I said, you are crazy. Why on earth would I send you those things? Why would you go back there? And he said, no, I know. I know I have to get those Bibles to them. And uh, I finally, I was in prayer for about 24 hours, and I put the Bibles in, a, in an envelope, and I sent them down. Um, and he picked them up in Thailand, and he said, all right, pray for me for the next 48 hours. And so he went actually back to the same exact border where we got deported out of he walked right back across, and uh, he walked in, and um, he said, I, I actually walked all the way over. I remember the roads all the way to the prison. He said, I walked right up to the front gates of the prison, and here I am. I'm like, what on earth? And he said, hi, can I go in the prison? I have a friend in there. 
And the officer said, no, go away, get away. Shoo, don't come around here. And he said they had a really confused look on their face. Like, what on earth? I just kicked this guy out. How did he come back? <laughs> I was like, I can't believe you did that. You're so brave. And uh, he, um, he said, I, I went back. And he said, I, I saw the perimeter there. Um, whoops, I guess I hit the wrong button there. Let me scroll through real quick. Um, he saw this outer perimeter. See how it's like a U-shape right there? That's a big chain link fence. So he, he didn't take no as an answer. He went back to... Um, to uh, actually to a local like hardware store and uh, he got some bolt cutters and then he went through <laughs> the next night and uh, he said I promised the Lord I would get the Bibles to those those women and so he actually uh, he it took him uh, all night honestly he started at about uh, 10 o'clock at night it took him almost until 3 in the morning to get all the way back to the prison he got up to the outer chain link fence and he cut a hole right in the fence and crawled through and he crawled up. He said, I was creeping really slow. He said, I, I only had a distance to go maybe 200 yards, but it took me almost three hours because I had to just crawl really, really slowly. And uh, he said, I knew at any moment they could shoot me if they saw me. He said, but I, I just kept saying, God, your word is good. It's faithful. We have to get this to them. And I made a promise to the Lord. And here he's telling me this on the phone. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And... Uh, he, he said he got up there to the wall. He tried to crawl the wall again to get inside the prison. He couldn't. And so he said, all right, I'll just, I'll just throw the Bibles over the wall because the, the women were right on the, right on the corner there. The women were over here in the, in the left-hand corner, in the top corner. So he was actually crawled right up to the outside wall there, and then he was trying to crawl over to, to see where to throw them. And uh, finally he just took the bag, and he said, okay, Lord, I'm trusting you takes the bag and he just chucks it and it flies over the wall and he just immediately starts running before the, before the bag even hit the ground. And he ran, he jumped over one of the outside, there was an outer, outer fence there that he jumped over and then he crawled through, the, um, through the, the fence and stuff and he ran back to the jungle but he said, as I was running, he said, I heard it hit the roof and it bounced and it went clank, 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 thud and landed on the ground. And he said, that's all I know. As far as to this point, he said, I know it got on the ground in front of, right in front of the girls because it hit the roof and rolled down and hit on the ground. And he said, I ran and jumped back into the jungle and ran away. And he said, okay, Lord, I've accomplished everything. Can I leave now? <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I was, I was really moved because when I got back, I remember I contacted my family right away and um, I said, hey, I, I'm out, I'm safe. And I, I tried to call my mom and she didn't answer. So I called my sister she said, Bridger, Bridger, so good to hear your voice. You don't know how many hundreds of people, no, thousands of people have been praying for you. And I'll tell you what, that's exactly, exactly the words I prayed in the, prayer, in the prison. And that's when I started crying. So I encourage you all today. Um, God hears your prayers. Um, go before him. Lay your requests at his feet. God heard your prayers. God answered your prayers. Autumn came back home. She came home safe and sound, and she, test, she testified here a few weeks ago, a little while ago. I think it was a few weeks ago, wasn't it? Okay, yeah. So she, you know, she shared what the Lord did, and, and I, I got to be the, the person waiting, and I'm just, I'm just like you guys. Lord, please help them get out. Please help them get out. I'm scared. Lord, do you hear my prayer? God hears our prayers. God hears your prayers. He knows your heart's cry. So um, I just want to thank you guys so much for the time. I know, I know I've gone a little bit long, but 
Um, I have a table in the back um, if you want more information about us. I have some Chinese Bibles back there you can look at. Um, Feel free to come talk to me. God bless you. Thank you so much. And uh, it's been a blessing.